today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by, well, me, SaveWithConrad.com. I really want to help you get out of debt, and I want to help you do it with cheaper monthly payments. Now, hear me out. If you're in a 30-year loan, you're overpaying your single biggest bill, and you may not even realize it. This past week, I talked to a podcast listener who, when he bought his house, he had to do a first and second mortgage. The second mortgage was a home equity line of credit. Now, if you have one of those, here's what you may not realize. First of all, it's either got an adjustable rate or a balloon payment, or even worse, both. So you might be thinking, well, I've got a pretty good rate right now. Eventually, the rate could go up. Even worse, though, there's a balloon payment where eventually you're going to have to pay it off. What does that mean? It means you've been paying interest only. You've made no, absolutely no headway in paying that debt off. He still owed exactly what he borrowed when he first bought his house. Now, why did he do it this way? Because at the time, he was over the loan limit. Recently, loan limits have moved up. So if you have a first and second mortgage, it's worth another look. Loan limits are increased, but at the same time, interest rates are lower than ever. To his surprise, when we did the appraisal, he had more equity than he thought he had. Real estate has been hot, hot, hot these last three years. He had an extra hundred grand in value in his home that he didn't have. Listen up, renters. He's worth a hundred grand more than he thought he was. And you're missing out if you don't own a home. But what we did for him is we took him from a 26 year loan. And to be clear, he's four years into a 30 year loan. And I showed him how to restructure his debt, pay off everything else and get down to a 15 year loan process what we're talking about. He cut 11 years worth of house payments off of his loan. This is a fairly good sized loan. He's going to wind up borrowing $510,000, but in the process, he's going to save more than $300,000 worth of unnecessary interest. Do you hear me? 300 grand. He thought he had a good deal and he did have a good deal when he bought his house, but things are better now. You can do better. He got a rate in the threes. You can too. And you can get out of debt faster with cheaper monthly payments. Let me run that past you one more time. He's saving $100 a month on his monthly payments. He will actually write checks $100 less than he's been doing, but he'll get out of debt 11 years faster. 11 years faster. That's a real thing. Really process what we're talking about there. The impact to his family is he'll pay his house off when he's 64 rather than 75. Who the hell wants a house payment when they're 75? If you haven't thought about this, if you're in a 30-year loan, you have to go to SaveWithConrad.com right now. I'm passionate about helping you save money. I'm going to show you how to do it with cheaper monthly payments. We can help you in more than 40 states, so we can help more families than ever before. You don't need perfect credit. I'm not going to ask you for money out of your pocket. If I can't save you money, I won't waste your time. But if you have a second mortgage, if you have a 30-year loan, if you have credit card debt, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of how much. Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, no house payments for two months. SaveWithConrad.com. Welcome to Something to Wrestle With. Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? It feels so good to be back. It does. What's that? What's that term you use? Busier than a one-armed paper hanger in a whorehouse? What is it? Yeah, busier than a one-armed paper hanger. There you go. And, and man, oh. you have been burning at both ends. Glad we're finally able to hook up and get together. We have wanted to do this topic for a long time, and this is the day. 
Sherry Martell, baby, on something to wrestle. I'm fired up about today's episode, Bruce. I voted for Sherry. I'm just uh, saying, I voted for Sherry. What a deep cut. Uh, if you're not sure what we're talking about, go over to BrucePritchard.com, click on t-shirts, you'll see. Once upon a time, it came down to a nail-biter between Vince Russo and Sherry Martell. And, of course, tons of controversy stirred up anytime you talk about Vince Russo. His fan base mobilized and things were said and it became a whole thing online. And, uh, I said, God damn, don't blame me. I voted for Sherry. We made it a shirt. And now all these years later, we're finally getting to talk about the late, great Sherry Martell. Uh, I'm excited to get into this one. Uh, we should mention the reason we were planning on covering this one last week. That was last Saturday was her birthday. She was born February 8th, 1958 in new Orleans. And, uh, her and her mom started going to Gulf coast championship wrestlings around 1972. And she just very quickly fell in love with the sport and decided she wanted to be a wrestler. And when she was 16, she met Grizzly Smith, the father of Jake Roberts, Sam Houston and rock and Robin. And Sherry asked him to get her in the business. And he told her to come back when she was 21 and she ended up going home to join the circus. And she's living in uh, Memphis in 1978 and working at a local bar with a wrestler named Sweet Daddy Lions, and he started a wrestling school ran by Butch Monroe. And Sherry said that she went to see Butch in his office with $500 and told him she wanted to be a wrestler. And she says he got up from his desk, walked over to her, and slapped her across the face. And she said, is that all you've got? And he signed her up. And she's in school for about a year and a half. Uh, so an interesting way to get in the business. Has she ever talked to you about going to wrestling school and this crazy first experience? You know, Sherry talked to me about her early days because Sherry was one of those talent that truly had a passion. There, it wasn't about, I want to be a star or I want to, you know, travel the world and make millions and millions of dollars. It was about, she loved the essence of the business and she wanted to be a part of it. And I think she was willing, you know, even before she realized what it was going to take, she was willing to pay the price and she was willing to do whatever it took to get into the business. So she was tough anyway, and somebody slapping her sure as hell wasn't going to deter her, but she just wanted, she just wanted to be in and around wrestling and to get in the ring and become a wrestler. That was her dream. That that's what it boiled down to. It, it wasn't about really anything else. So she she wanted to fight. She was tough, and she wanted to prove to anybody that crossed her path that by God she wasn't going to be denied. Talk to me a little bit about wrestling schools. You know, these days wrestling schools feel and look a lot different. You know, from from a you guys perspective, there's NXT, and you guys take you know someone with absolutely no wrestling experience and polish them up and teach them the WWE way and make them bona fide superstars. But that wasn't always the way to go. I mean, there wasn't a WWE school back in this era. You had to go through a more traditional sort of old school wrestling school in the late seventies, early eighties. What did that look like? Oh God, there, there were no traditional wrestling schools, so to speak. There would be guys from time to time that would have a gym in a barn or a gym in a, I mean, a, a ring in a garage, a gym in a barn, uh, a ring in a garage or a barn somewhere, or even in their backyard that they would charge people to come in. And the extent of the school, a lot of times was, let me blow these people up and let me put them through 
these ungodly cardio drills and training drills so that they never, ever want to come back again. Um, you know, refund not, uh, not available, no refund and deposit not refunded. So in the day, the wrestling school was nothing like what we have today. Right. And, you know, JPWA, the Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy in Knoxville, Tennessee, is an actual wrestling school where they teach you everything and they teach you the fundamentals of the wrestling business and they teach you how to conduct business, not just get in the ring and take bumps and a couple, here's a couple of moves, kid, get on your way. So there were a lot of con artists there were a lot of guys, you know, there were, for example, when we were kids, went to Nick Kozak's records company and in the garage of the record service, there was a ring set up in the corner. One, you know, two sides were wall. One side was uh, a place to actually get into the ring. And then the fourth side was actually where they changed the oil for the tow trucks. So if you took a bump on that side, it was a pretty damn big bump. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have Nick take a liking to us and, and allow us to go in there and train. And that's where Tom got the majority of his training. So I think Sherry was just looking for anything. And for women in particular during those years, no, no guy wanted to, to train a woman right. to be a wrestler. If you want to do that, uh, you know, uh, go find, go find some broad to teach you, but they would take their money for sure. Well, and that's certainly not going to happen, you know, with, uh, JPWA, they're not going to take $500 from you and slap you across the face. Tell everybody how they can go train with, uh, Dr. Tom and, and Glenn Jacobs. Well, check them out uh, online, jpwawrestling.com. And it's, you're going to be trained by the same guy that trained the rock. You're going to be trained by the same guy that trained Kurt angle, Mark Henry, Vince McMahon. The list goes on and on and on of the amount of talent that Tom Pritchard, my brother, yes, I am partial, has trained and brought up through the ranks. And he, for many years, would say, ah, yeah, but, you know, they had it. I'm like, yeah, they had it, but they didn't know what to do with it until they got to him. And that's what you want in a training facility. And in my opinion, JPWA in Knoxville, Tennessee is the premier wrestling academy. And then there's also, you know, reality of wrestling in, uh, Texas city, Texas, a Booker T runs those two. I'm not disparaging anyone else. Those two I've actually been to and spent a lot of time around and know that they teach the fundamentals and they teach you what to do, not just what to do, but why you do it. And they actually teach you how to feel, which is very important in this business. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that, um, you know, there's tons of great schools out there, but these are two that, that you can personally endorse and, uh, that you feel good about recommending. So if you're listening to the show and you'd like to pursue your dream the same way Sherry Martell did, be sure to check out JPWA. I mean, Dr. Tom and Glenn Jacobs Kane, come on. Uh, we should mention when Sherry's 21, she meets up again with Grizzly Smith and, uh, winds up calling Moolah. 
who, as you said, was uh, training the broads. And then Sherry winds up moving to Columbia, South Carolina to go to Moolah's wrestling school. She's there for about six months and she's trained by Moolah and Donna Cristinello. She's training every morning uh, and then they'd take a break and then they'd work every evening. And she says during her training, Moolah had her work mostly as a baby face. So Sherry learned how to take moves, but also give some as well. And her training consisted of mostly taking bumps, which is obviously a very critical part when you're a young person learning uh, the biz. And she says the best advice Moolah ever gave her was to save her money and stay away from the boys. Don't go out with the boys. Don't date the boys and keep your private life away from the wrestling business. A lot to unpack here. But how important do you think that advice is to a young person getting in the business today to keep your private life away from the wrestling business? Extremely important. Here's, here's the catch 22 to that. When you are in the business, um, the people that you travel with become your family. And that's when you're in a different city every night, you're, you're meeting new people and, but you're moving on the constants in your life are those that you travel with and work with. So it's kind of difficult to not dabble in that lake, if you will, because that's what you're around all the time. However, if you can separate, uh, you need to separate. And I do think that that's the best advice I could ever give anyone is yes, I agree with that 100% and save your money. It is not going to last forever. And that was the old timers, man. The old timers that made it and saved it. That was their first bit of advice. I don't care if you make, you're only making $15 a night, at least put five of it away. Well, and some of that, you know, you probably speak to from personal experience where, you know, your first run with WWE, you probably assumed this shit will never end. And, uh, you know, plans change pal and obviously your story has a different happy ending but that's not always the case for a lot of folks right no and you think that you're making so much money that it's never going to end and i'll get around to putting some away but i'm making so much now it really doesn't matter it becomes it becomes like monopoly money and you just think okay well that's this this train's never gonna stop never going to keep right on going. And then when it does, it's a very rude awakening to go from tens of thousands of dollars a week to nothing. So that that's why you want to just take the majority of that tens of thousands of dollars a week and put it away. Speak to Moolah as a trainer. You know, we've, we've talked about Moolah here on the show. Uh, she obviously, you know, as a, as a lightning rod for controversy, depending on who you ask, some absolutely loved her. Some had a different experience. Uh, but as a trainer, someone who could observe the talent and work with the ladies that she actually trained with, or she trained, uh, what was her reputation, you know, from, from your perspective as a trainer, tough, tough. And even talking to Sherry, I remember Sherry's memories of Moolah were tough. And that Moolah used to beat the shit out of her. It was to toughen her up and it was to prepare her for life on the road and for sometimes going out, not knowing what to expect. But Moolah would try to prepare them for any and every obstacle that could come, come their way. 
Sherry was was tough. Mula was tougher, and Mula was very hard on those that were training with her that she felt had potential to actually make it and make it to a the same type of spot that Mula had enjoyed all those years. So the better you were, the more the harder Mula was on you. In 1981, Mula would send Sherry on a tour of Japan, and she also takes the name Sherry Martell. And when Sherry comes back from Japan, she goes to work in Memphis, and that's where she begins wrestling with Jim Cornette as her manager. And I think Sherry may have actually been one of the first wrestlers, maybe the first wrestler that that Cornette ever actually managed. So nice little footnote in history. Uh, when did you first see Sherry Martell, and when did you first meet Sherry Martell? I didn't meet Sherry until the, the mid eighties coming through. And I think she'd come through during, uh, the Watts time in mid South for a run. And I met her a few times there and Sherry was one of those that got on the radar. Okay. Here's a, a new female wrestler that you want to take note of the fact that she was young. That was different. The fact that she was much prettier than some of the little more mature female wrestlers that were on the circuit that helped as well. So Sherry immediately kind of caught the eye and caught the attention of people. Then that damn bell rang and she actually knew what the hell she was doing. She had a bit of an awkwardness to her, but it was the, the early to mid eighties was the first time that I crossed paths with Sherry. Couldn't have been nicer too. While she's working in the South, she also manages the team of Pat Rose and Dr. Tom Pritchard. Of course, back then he wasn't the doctor, but, uh, that's pretty fun that, that one of your brother's first managers, Sherry Martell. Yep. And that relationship, you know, carried on for many, many years where they were friends because that was the first opportunity for Sherry to be in a different role other than wrestling. And she was used as a not a stereotypical female manager because she could bump and she could work and she worked better than most of the guys. And there always wasn't a plethora of women wrestlers during those days for her to work with and especially get any variety. So you would have, you know, you had the women and the midgets. That's how the, the card used to read the King Jerry Lawler versus Plowboy Frazier. The Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express Puss Midgets and Girls. <laughs> that was the billing. So they were uh, almost like a side so side. Sorry, my fucking teeth have fallen out again. All that shit, people, for a year. This has been the worst teeth life of my life. Um <laughs> the worst teeth life of my life. I hate oh, the worst so year. Funny. I mean, God damn it. This is fucking, you know what I meant? Yeah, I do know what you meant. And it's funny. Yesterday I sneezed and they came out in the middle of a meeting with Vince, right? Which has got to be hysterical. I don't, I haven't even talked to you about this. Uh, no, that was last week in the middle of a meeting with Vince. <laughs> Where last week in the middle of a meeting with Vince, I'm sitting there and I, I like you, you feel something in your mouth and you try to talk and, and it's not right. You know, the, you're the fucking words and you, your teeth are loose. And I started cussing up a storm. He's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I'm a fucking tooth. And my tooth just came out of my mouth. So then I was pissed off, took the red eye back, 
got it put in on Saturday morning and then uh, yesterday morning, which would have been whatever the fuck day that was, I was sneezing in the morning when I got up and I felt something hit my hand. And then you hear the. I'm like, motherfucker, my tooth came out again. Couldn't find it. Got down on my hands and knees, fucking crawling all over the kitchen floor. And I know, you know, not the funny part about me with a missing tooth, but probably the funniest part was me getting down and trying to get up from the kitchen floor. Oh, I was fucking pissed. Are you okay? Pissed, Conrad, because it still feels loose and it's not going to, and it's going to be loose. Because this is one of the two teeth that they worked on, is and it's got the fucking post in it, but they stripped the post. And, oh, God damn. Pissed Wait. off. Hot wax, what do you say? I got a brand new record. I got a play. She says, not now, boy, but I did it anyway, because I'm ready. The fuck are we talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, you wanted to know what we had a best of last week? There you go. What the fuck? This is Bruce Pritchard shot out of a cannon. As we Dude, this is my fu- this, but This is daily. This is fucking daily, like you and I. So we started this goddamn thing. I said, what, you don't want to talk to me? No, I want to talk to you. I'd really like to talk to you. But usually I like to talk to you at the end of the thing, like if you ever actually have a couple of fucking minutes. And now I got noises coming out of my goddamn phone. Um, <laughs> hey, the by, fuck? By the way, we should mention before we get too far down the road, uh, please watch SmackDown tonight on Fox. Um, Sherry is in a battle royal, 450-pound plowboy Stan Frazier, known as Uncle Elmer in the WWF in the mid-'80s, falls on her leg and breaks it. A very bad injury. It keeps her away from wrestling for like two years. You ever hear about this uh, horrific incident where uh, the plowboy broke her leg and put her on the shelf for two years? Uh, from Yeah, from her and actually from Tom, and it was she was pissed. She was just fucking pissed. Uh, because in those days, it wasn't a pension, no, no promoter, certainly not Jerry Jarrett is going to take care of talent while they're injured on the side and make sure that they still are able to feed themselves and take care of themselves. So it was a rough time for Sherry with this injury because there wasn't anything else she could do. While she's out recovering, she moves to New York. She even accompanies Playboy Buddy Rose a few times when he's challenging Bob Backlund for the world title. And she wasn't referred to by a name or anything like that. It was very brief, but she was one of Buddy's rosebuds, which is what he called the women that walked to the ring with him at the time. And then in 85, Zabisco helped her get into the AWA. And uh, Larry goes with Sherry to meet with Vern. And Sherry says without Larry doing that, she probably wouldn't have got a shot in the AWA. Of course, the AWA ran by Vern Gagne. Uh, you ever hear any stories uh, from, from Sherry about working in the AWA with Vern? She hated Vern. <laughs> Sherry hated Vern. I, it's funny that I remember spending, I just spent a lot of time with Sherry. I traveled with Sherry and it was, it was unique to say the least, but I, I don't know that there were many promoters with the exception of Vince that Sherry really liked. Um, and I don't know if it was because first of all, the, the old timers like Vern, they, ah, damn women in a wrestling ring. What the fuck is that? 
that was foreign. It wasn't foreign to Vern, but he looked down his nose at it and didn't feel that that they were anything more than a side attraction. And Sherry was so much more than a great worker. She enhanced whoever you put her with. She could talk and she could bring up whoever she was around. And the valets, if you will, that accompanied guys to the ring during this time frame, most of them didn't work. Most of them were the girlfriends of, of whoever, like Missy Hyatt was Johnny Tatum's girlfriend. And later on, Eddie Gilbert, um, dark journey came in as Dick Slater's girlfriend. Then they, you know, morphed from there, but Sherry was unique. Sherry was a worker that became a manager and a valet that could do it all, that could talk, that could work, and go out there and knew how to get heat and loved getting heat. So for Vern, that was foreign to him. I'm not sure that Vern fully knew how to utilize Sherry's talents. Because by this time, you know, Vern is looking at the business as that goddamn McMahon is is coming in trying to to take my territory and and uh, this is wherever the hell he thought he lived that only he was allowed to run in Minneapolis and Chicago and Denver and the markets that he deemed he was allowed to run in and no one else because it's not America so that was Vern's mindset at the time. And this was during a time that he was trying to just hold on to what he had. And his idea of holding on to what he had was, well, I'll go take what Vince has. When did you meet Vern? The first time I met Vern was in 1981 when Vern came. I'd spoken to Vern maybe one or two times on the phone uh, at the office with Paul Bosch. So Vern came down for Paul Bosch's 50th anniversary tournament. And that's the infamous, uh, Evan Johnson story with Dick Slater, where Evan Johnson was a shooter from Minnesota and got in the ring with Dick Slater and tried to shoot on Dickie and did shoot on Dickie. And Dick was the reason Dick Burt booked himself with Evan was to protect Evan and give Evan a match. Cause Evan was green as grass but Evan just thought Dick was trying to bury him and wouldn't uh, wouldn't cooperate. And then later on ended up with uh, Slater slapping the shit out of Evan backstage in the locker room. But that was the first time I met Vern was during that event. Vern came down. It was a three-day tournament. And Vern came in and uh, was nice as could be, man. It was a legendary Vern Gagne. But I think that Vern... Vern was one of those guys who believed his own shit and Vern could be a hundred years old and the way that he would settle anything. Well, you know, let's go, let's go fight. Let's go outside. Double tough guy, amateur wrestler, Olympian and a bully. I think a lot of people saw Vern as a bully. Vern also was one of the greatest trainers of all time. I mean, he, the level of talent that came out of that camp, good God, if you could survive that camp, much less come out of it and be able to walk, you had to be in pretty damn good shape and you had to be somebody that had the the passion and the drive to do it. So Vern was good in that way. 
But by 1985, I think it was slipping away from him. And Vern was in a state of constant paranoia and this damn kid coming in his backyard and running his, his towns. Let's mention that while she's a part of the AWA, she's managing Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, and they win the World Tag Team titles. They had a very famous feud against the Midnight Rockers, uh, Marty Jannetty, and a man that Sherry would manage seven years later when he first gets his big break as a singles wrestler, uh, the incomparable Shawn Michaels. Man, the uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers bloody match with the uh, Midnight Rockers became a tape trading classic. You ever see that match? Yes, I have. And this was a period for, you know, Buddy. Buddy was kind of in the twilight of his career, if you will. This when Buddy started getting really heavy. And Buddy just wasn't, wasn't the Buddy Rose of old. You know, the Buddy Rose in the Pacific North Northwest, uh, Portland, Seattle, that area, working for Don Owens. Man, Buddy could fly he was a big guy he was not in great shape but the son of a bitch could cut a promo you would not believe real name paul pershman he had broke in under Vern, and he had gone on and you go back in the real early 80s and he was flying around in lear jets and limousines is a shoot living the gimmick of playboy buddy rose and Nobody could, nobody could touch him. And now it was kind of his career. He had, uh, he'd probably smelled most of his career go away and buddy needed help. Doug Summers, big guy, but a journeyman. Doug was never going to be a main eventer anywhere. And Doug couldn't cut a promo to save his life. My opinion, but the team, I think buddy helped Doug and Doug helped buddy, but Sherry, made them complete because Sherry could cut the promo. Sherry, when there wasn't much going on in the ring, Sherry was making sure there was shit going on outside of the ring. She could bump, she could fly, and she could make the baby face look like a million bucks. And you're going to feel like a million bucks if you sleep on a purple mattress. Better sleep, better you. If you're working as crazy hours that Bruce and I are, you got to keep your attitude and your ability to be happy and productive. And the only way to do that is to get a good night's sleep and purple is helping us do it. And if you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you just got to try one. Now purple's company history is rather interesting. The founders of purple are a couple of brothers who've been developing cushioning technology on stuff like medical beds, and wheelchairs for like three decades. And then a handful of years ago, they decided to create the world's most scientific mattress purple. And this is all with their patented comfort technology. I say this because it's really unique. It's probably unlike anything you've ever felt before. I mean, it's legit developed by an actual rocket scientist. And no, it's not the memory foam you're used to. It's unique because it's both firm and soft, but it feels really comfortable and gives you the support you need. It's almost like a zero gravity like feel. So it works for any sleeping position, whether you're like Silva and you sleep on your stomach. I sleep on my right side. My wife sleeps on her back. Whatever you do, you're going to love it. And I love it because it's breathable. So it sleeps cool. But how about this? You know, it's a great product because they offer you a 100 night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's even backed by 10 year warranty. Oh yeah. Free shipping and returns. 
You're going to love purple. And right now our listeners can get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site wide. Just text the word wrestle to eight, four, eight, eight, eight. Now the only way to get the free pillow is to text the word wrestle to eight, four, eight, eight, eight. That's W R E S T L E to eight, four, eight, eight, eight message and data rates may apply. Let's talk about Sherry here. She also has an opportunity to manage Kevin Kelly, who's going to go on to be nails in the WWF. I got to tell you, I had no idea that they had any sort of relationship until I started research on this show. She ever tell you any stories about, uh, nails? Not really. She wasn't, I don't want to say that he was, he was, was one of her favorite people, but he wasn't one of her favorite people. And she did whatever she was asked to do. But here was this guy with uh, dark brown skin, bleached blonde hair, and looked like a gazillion dollars. But, boy, unfortunately, that bell had to ring, and, and there wasn't a whole lot there to, to write home about. So I don't think Sherry saw a whole lot in a future with Kevin Walkholtz because it, it just wasn't even all of the bumping in the world and all the best promos in the world weren't going to help her in that situation with that package. Let's keep it moving here. And let's talk about, uh, super clash, September 28th, 1985. She defeats candy divide to win the AWA women's title. Then they flip flop the title a handful of times, uh, October 14th, then October 17th. And then on January 16th, 1986, uh, and then we finally see Sherry win it for the third and final time, June 28th, 1986 at the battle of the Bay while she's the champ, she's got several matches with a newcomer to the biz Medusa Michelli is going to go on to become uh, a lunger blaze in the WWF. It's pretty cool to go back and see some early AWA matches with Sherry Martell and Medusa. I don't think a lot of people may have even known those matches existed. No, and it was one of the times that Sherry was really, now this was somebody that Sherry's looking at that she could work with and actually have a program and take around. Uh, Sherry thought very highly of Medusa and her work and looked at Medusa as someone that could take her career to even a higher height in the ring in her working ability. And of course we know what's coming soon. Uh, even though Sherry is the AWA women's champion, she's working without a contract. Vern's trying to sign her to a long-term contract, but she won't sign it, uh, because, uh, they're offering her $500 a week. Vince McMahon, here he comes. He's made a, a living taking wrestlers from Vern Gagne, shining them up, making them superstars. He does the same thing with, uh, Sherry here. Uh, one day Sherry's doing a celebrity golf deal and Jesse Ventura's there. Jesse asks her, why don't you go work for Vince? And she says, no one's called me. And she didn't think she was experienced enough to make the jump. Fast forward a few months. She gets a call from blackjack Lanza telling her Vince wants to talk to her the next morning. The call is made. Vince schedules the meeting. Sherry said she waited two weeks before she gave Vince an answer. And then she accepts and gives Vern a two week notice. You're pretty new to the company. When Sherry comes in, what are your memories of how Martel wound up joining the company and is it true that Jesse Ventura helped get the ball rolling, at least from your recollection? From my recollection, yeah. I think it was it was Jesse or Pat through Jesse 
somehow who had seen Sherry work and Vince had seen her work and liked her work. Um, I remember very, very early on. And when I say very early on, I'm talking like in one of our first few meetings, Vince asked me if I knew who Sherry was and what kind of experiences I had had with Sherry. He had heard that she was trouble and he had heard that, uh, you know, she was a little rowdy and what have you. And my experiences with Sherry were, were always good. She just was really nice. She was a lot of fun, but she could go. And I was strictly looking at it from that aspect. And uh, I don't know that, especially at that point in my career with WWE, that my opinion was going to matter that much anyway. But I knew early on that they had been talking and that Vince was interested in bringing her in. So... Um, he said, do you think that it would work if she were the champion and we actually were able to get more women in and if we made Sherry champion, because I don't think Moolah at her age is going to be able to travel the way that we would like to travel and the way that we would like to get the women's championship out there. So, you know, times are changing and Sherry had part uh, the big part of sherry coming in at the time was sherry had left the the clutches of moolah if you will because sherry had gone out on her own and and when moolah booked you moolah got her percentage you know that was that was moolah's deal she trained you you sign it you know it ahead of time when you go to work moolah's going to get a percentage of your pay well sherry broke away from Moolah and was doing her own bookings and doing her own stuff with Vern and with everybody else. And Sherry was afraid to come back into the fold with Moolah because she had broken away from Moolah. And Vince assured her that, you know, look, Lil's not going to hold a grudge and got them together and they were fine and what have you. But, uh, yeah, that was the first time I, I heard about it. And I thought that she would be a great addition to the roster. Of course, when she comes in, um, they have to vacate the AWA women's title. She never officially loses it. Medusa winds up winning it from candy divine Poor candy, uh, July 24th, 1987, right after Sherry joins the company, she defeats the fabulous Moolah to win the women's title. And Sherry has said that they didn't always see eye to eye on things, but they had mutual respect for each other. In hindsight, that had to be an interesting thing. You know, she's uh, sort of running women's wrestling forever, so it feels. You okay? Did you drop another tooth? The hell was that? I don't know. Something fell. Was that also a tooth? You should check the floor. Hang on. Check. Check. Tooth check. Tooth check. Got it. You got it? Put it back in. Got it. it in. Uh, ah, okay. There we go. Now we're back. Uh, fabulous Moolah. Interesting personality. She's ran women's wrestling for a long, long time. Now she's, uh, after being the top dog, really with no competition anywhere in sight, she's asked to put over Sherry Martell here. How'd that go over? Well, it went over well. You know, I think that the. The best part of the match was the uh, strapping young babyface play-by-play guy. Oh, God. Um, 
What? Nothing. I'm just listening. I mean, he first of all is very good looking, very dynamic. Um, what was his probably name? well in the podcast genre. Oh, we're talking about Eric Bischoff. Who? Eric Bischoff. He's very good looking. Does well in podcasts. That's what you're talking about. No, 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 no. He was with AWA. I think. Oh, okay. or... So it's Tony Schiavone. Who? You mean the fat guy that doesn't know what a tailor is? Why are you talking about Michael Hayes like that? Michael Taylor's his shit now. Oh. I mean, not all of it, but he at least hams his pants. Let's keep it moving here. After winning the title. Well, hang on. So, uh, aside from the great play-by-play on that, um, Mula, Mula was cool. Mula had zero problem dropping the title to Sherry. However... When Sherry showed up, in Moolah's opinion, she wasn't she wasn't in top notch shape, and she didn't look like someone that was getting the torch passed to her to be able to go on to the next level. Well, and after that, she's working with Rock and Robin, and it's, it's just weird how all of this sort of ties together. She's the daughter of Grizzly Smith, the guy who helped Sherry get in the business that we talked about earlier. Uh, even though there's a, a woman's title in 1997, there's not a lot of women in the division. Do you know if Sherry ever put in a good word for any other female wrestlers like Medusa? She did put in a good word for Medusa at the time. And I think that Medusa was pretty well set in the AWA. And I don't think that she was looking to make a move. And I want to say that during this time was like the first, the first time Medusa had started going to Japan as well. So that was an attractive thing for her, but you know, Sherry, Sherry wanted to work. Sherry wanted to work in the ring. Sherry wanted to manage. Sherry just wanted to work and be involved and make as much money as she could. So she was always on the lookout for any new opponents and people that could come in and just spice it up for her. But it was a different time in the business as well for our company to have more than two full-time women wrestlers. It just wasn't feasible. It wasn't something that, you know, you looked at and said, okay, Hey, uh, we've got a roster here. There was no roster because you had your female champion and then you had to get opponents for from time to time. And, Maybe you do an angle, maybe you do something, but it was the attraction of seeing, you know, come see the women. Oh my God. Wait, women wrestle. Uh, they can vote. What the hell's going on here? By God, Vern, did you hear that? They're going to have women. They're going to actually wrestle. Oh God. Sherry makes her pay-per-view debut at the first survivor series, 1987. She's teaming with the women's tag champions, the glamor girls, Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, Don Marie and Donna Cristinello. They took on the fabulous Moolah, the jumping bomb angels, an internet favorite and velvet McIntyre and rock and Robin in the match. Sherry eliminates rock and Robin before rock and Robin, not ramen. That'd be funny though. Uh, rock and Robin before being eliminated by velvet McIntyre. Interesting decision. Having McIntyre eliminate Sherry. I mean, she's the, uh, she's the women's champ and she's uh, getting eliminated. So I guess that sets up. A bunch of house show matches and it does. She's working with rock and Robin and velvet McIntyre on the loops afterwards. And somewhere around this time, she gets another piece of business. And this is probably the first time I saw her. She starts accompanying the honky tonk man to ringside as Peggy Sue. 
rocking the poodle skirt and the wig and the glasses. Whose idea is it to have Sherry be uh, Peggy Sue? Whew. Probably will be debated forever. I think it was a cross between Jimmy Hart and Pat Patterson. To just add a little bit to it, Sherry was there on the cards anyway, and it was something else for Sherry to do. And the best part about it is, is not everybody. And in fact, very few knew that it was Sherry Martell doing the Peggy Sue gimmick. So she would do double duty. A lot of times at the arena, she would go out and work as Sherry Martell. Then she'd come back and be Peggy Sue and or vice versa. Were there any long-term plans for Peggy Sue or was it just an off the cuff idea? It didn't, it didn't last very long is why I asked. No, it was, it was just something to enhance honky tonk man. And I forget who honky was in a program with at the time, but it was a way to just one more tool for honky to use in his matches. It was a fun little look for sure. Uh, October 7th, 1988 Paris, France, rock and Robin would defeat Sherry to win the women's title. And she would hold it until it was eventually phased out in February of 1990. Of course, we know by that time. Uh, Sherry's off to the races in a managerial capacity, but why was the decision made to, uh, sort of do away with women's wrestling in that era? There wasn't a large talent pool of women wrestlers to draw from. So it's, you you can continue to, you can continue the division, but it's just going to be the same people over and over again. So there wasn't anything to really choose from to freshen up that division. So you really didn't have a division. You had a belt. You had someone that wore that belt beyond that. There wasn't a whole lot to it. Uh, we don't see a whole ton of, uh, of Sherry on TV for a while. I mean, she's working rematches on house shows. Uh, and then finally, you know, when, when we see WrestleMania five come to a conclusion, Sherry is going to confront Elizabeth and during an interview leading to a confrontation between the two, uh, Savage would repeatedly threaten to hit Elizabeth. Of course, Hogan comes to her aid. Sherry then attacks Hulk from behind and, uh, he holds Hulk by his hair while Randy hits him in the chest with a chair. And now Sherry is managing Randy. This is an interesting little turn of events. We know behind the scenes. Uh, Randy Savage is the real life husband of Miss Elizabeth, and he is super overprotective of Miss Elizabeth. And they've been a traveling duo and a, and a, and a pair for a long, long time to see him with a different woman, certainly a different look, especially when, you know, sort of the behind the scenes dynamic between the two, whose idea was this, how did Sherry feel about it? And most importantly, how did Randy feel about being with another woman on camera? At first, I think it was a little weird for everyone. And I know it was intimidating for Sherry because of the relationship between Sherry, I mean, between Elizabeth and Macho Man. So for Sherry, yeah, it was a little intimidating working with Randy because Randy could be pretty intense. However, once they started working together, they immediately clicked and Randy saw the potential of what he could do with Sherry that he could never do with Liz from the bumping and being able to use her in matches. And now Randy had a whole brand new tool in his arsenal and it was a human bump machine. 
and someone that people genuinely didn't like. And she had heat, man. She could work and she could tell stories. So that was a great package. And being able to work with with Liz and that and continue the story, it was a natural. I think that when you look at the anti-antithesis, man, of Elizabeth, immediately you're going to go right to Sherry Martell. I think it's the uh, TV taping where Brother Love healed a guy and laid hands on a guy in a wheelchair. And, uh, it's TV taping here in Huntsville where Elizabeth would tell Sherry, hey, you're going to be working with Randy. And Sherry asked Liz, how do you feel about that? And are you comfortable with it? And Liz says she is, and that she trusts her with Randy. How was their real life relationship? Absolutely as close as, I mean, really as close as you could get. The, the dynamic there, I mean, Sherry became, you know, she kind of became a Poffo and, and they all, they all got along. They all. Sherry did her thing. Randy and Liz did their thing. So it wasn't like a, um, wasn't anything more than that. And it was, but it was good in that Randy let Sherry in and gave her the freedom to do her character and to do her shit. And for Randy, as I said before, it's a, a new tool. It's something he can use and it's something more that he can add to his arsenal. I'll throw you to Sherry. Sherry will get some heat on you. Boom, miss. Sherry takes a bump. It's another spot. And and those are always things that he never could do with Liz. So it was an exciting time for them. And Sherry just, you know, was business. She went out and did her shit and went on. I think it's worth mentioning. You know, Moolah had occasionally managed some people randomly here, there. I think it might be my opinion that Sherry's the first full-time female heel manager that we see up to this point. I mean, when Liz is managing Randy and he's a heel, she's never really getting involved or doing anything heelish. She's always sort of the sympathetic baby face, you know, is Sherry the first heel female manager? Wow. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you could throw and make an argument for Missy Hyatt, Dark Journey, I mean, in the even WWE, Sunshine. To be clear, I'm saying in the World Wrestling Federation. Yes. Yes, definitely. When Randy uh, goes on to, to beat Jim Duggan to become the king of the WWF, of course, Sherry starts to become known as uh, Queen Sherry. And the fans would sometimes nickname her scary sherry i think her official name is sensational sherry but uh fans and and, and babyface commentators on tv refer to her as scary sherry different incarnations of the character and through this period she starts to innovate a little bit change up her look not just her outfits which obviously when she's the queen but go way over the top and it's probably a it's probably a, a tall ask even for a female performer to keep up with the macho man because he was uh, you know, such a stickler for details and the little particulars. I mean, he would have crazy outfit changes and I mean, he was committed to the gimmick and he would invest in his wardrobe and she had to sort of play the part. So she's got to keep up with that. Right. Well, 
Sherry was already playing the part before that. Sherry was doing the same thing and very attention to detail, very much so. So to pair her with Randy, we knew that there wouldn't be a conflict in that way and that Sherry would be able to keep up. She wouldn't rest on her laurels. And as outlandish as Randy got, I think Sherry was right there with him and constantly changing her look, constantly reinvesting in her outfits and, you know, doing the crazy makeup and all that shit. Um, that's what made her so damn special. And if you didn't do that, I don't think that it would have worked nearly as well with the macho man because the package wouldn't, wouldn't have, have been as good, but as many times as Randy Savage was going to change outfits, by God, so was Queen Sherry. She um, she really got experimental with the makeup through different periods of her managerial role. I mean, when she was a wrestler, she would certainly try some stuff, but she started to get really over the top with some of the makeup stuff. And you guys have had tons of support, you know, from costuming and makeup and seamstresses and things like that. Was she doing most of the makeup herself, or, or did you guys have some some help on staff to help her uh, sort of amplify the look? No, most of the stuff you saw on TV, that was all makeup artists that would experiment and come to Sherry at TV and go, Oh, I've got, I've got this for you. Wait, you know, wait till you see what we're going to do this week. And, and they would experiment and they would do different things. So Sherry did it all on the road. She did it herself, but at TV, we always had the makeup artists that would do that. And they would come up with different ideas for Sherry. Let me ask, you know, and, and, and I know you probably don't know all of this, but you may have an idea when she was say, uh, the women's champion for the company and wrestling, wherever that match was on the card compared to when she's managing the macho King, Randy Savage and main events, especially on house show loops and things like that. She get a bump in pay. Is she making more money as a manager than she was as an in-ring performer? I would think she was more valuable as a, a manager in that role and added so much to that package. I would hope so. Yeah, I would think so too. Uh, when Randy, um, starts to feud with dusty Rhodes, uh, dusty is eventually managed by super fan Sapphire. And that leads Sherry and Sapphire to have a bunch of different physical confrontations with each other, which we've recently talked about here on the show. And that leads to a mixed tag match at WrestleMania six where Randy and Sherry lose to Dusty and Sapphire after Elizabeth interferes and shoves Sherry. Um, it's a big moment, you know, to see, uh, Sherry involved in something in the ring with Miss Elizabeth. Talk to me a little bit about that match and how you remember all of that sort of coming together because Sapphire was just a fan and it's not like even though Sherry knows what to do, she wasn't wrestling every, you know, every week. It's a tall ask to get in there on WrestleMania and mix it up with someone who doesn't have a ton of wrestling experience. Right. And the wrestling experience that Juanita had was independent, a lot of bad habits and just did not know. So you were relying a hundred, I hate the term 110%, but if there was ever a place to use it, it would be here because 110% of this working was on Sherry and Sherry had to be able to lead Juanita through the match and be able to get her to do everything that we needed her to do. So all this was Sherry Martell and everything that, uh, Sapphire did 
that was something that Sherry felt comfortable that Juanita could do. And the success of that, so much of the success of that entire program with Dusty and Sapphire and Sherry and Macho King, that was Sherry. That was Sherry that really pulled pulled out everything that she could out of Sapphire. It's it's fun because on the heels of WrestleMania, they they just work a continuous series of of mixed tag matches. You know, Dusty and Sapphire on one side, the King and Queen on the other, all the way through the summer of ninety to the end of August, I guess. And um, I think the way this all comes down is, at least from Sherry's point of view, she says Vince asked her to help get Sapphire on the road and basically train her to wrestle using these series of matches, even to the point that on the road to WrestleMania, they have a few singles matches on house shows. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what that might've sounded like when Vince tells Sherry, she's got to coach up Juanita, right? God damn Sherry. Uh, got a little project for you. You know, Sapphire, uh, God damn, we've, we've got plans here. And, and uh, without Sapphire, we've got no American dream, if you know what I mean. Because what are you going to do with that? So we need you. Take this woman. She can't bump. She can't work. Need about 10 minutes out of it. And I know you can do it, pal. I. And really, probably that's cl- pretty close to what really happened. You know, it was we we did the stuff where you had you had the mixed tag, and then the feature coming back would be I would be in Randy and Sherry's corner, and Elizabeth would be in uh, Dusty and Sapphire's corner, and that probably when I look back on all the different shit I did in the ring in WWE. That that time of traveling with them and being on the road and working those matches every night with Dusty and with Randy and Sherry and Juanita, that was some of the most fun I've ever had in the business. And every single day, I would get a phone call. It was my wake-up call every morning. Ha <laughs> ha! How you doing, pal? Oh, hey, Vince. God damn it! Congratulations. Well, yeah. set a record last night. What record's that? The lowest house in the history of Odessa. And every fucking night, every fucking town, no matter what, I would get the call the next morning, wherever I was. Waking me up. Set a new record last night. <laughs> Worst house in El Paso history. Um, yeah. And some of them were pretty bad. They weren't all they weren't all bad. Frankly, we outdrew in the garden where Hogan had been there before with Earthquake, and we outdrew that from date to date. But every night, every night. We would get we would get there and Dusty would be standing at the curtain looking out. And we go, baby, last time I was here, Hogan was on top, and I think they I think we've at least doubled it now. Shit, baby, they ain't they ain't even got everybody in the building yet. 
And Randy and I would go and look out the fucking curtain. Go, what the fuck is he looking at? Hey, Dream. Here, try these. These are my cheaters. Just look down them. It'll be a little bit more clear. Uh-huh. We're setting records every night. Yeah, you know what that equates to for me? Record payoffs. They're the shits. Uh-huh. Always wanted to work with the dream. It's turned into a fucking nightmare at the goddamn bank. All I got to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. But we had fun. I mean, we we had, spite of some of the fucking worst houses in the history of the company, by God, we had fun. Let's talk about um, Zeus. You know, we, we you mentioned Hogan, and, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention that whenever there would be the, the package of Hogan on one side, Macho on the other, sometimes they'd add a little garnish named Beefcake and Zeus. Well, a piece of that package for the heels is Sherry Martell. And some of my absolute favorite promos ever, uh, are the pre-tape promos where you guys have the three of them standing over a goddamn cauldron at Missy, not Missy, but Sherry Martell is talking about the vision she sees. And then we've got the big blue cage and they're pretending to, you know, climb around the cage and Sherry's running around the back of it and then climbing to the top. And it's just hysterical stuff where they're all shot out of a cannon, but then the bell rang. And there would be physicality where she would take bumps from Hulk Hogan. And that's not something we had regularly seen. And I could see how in certain eras that would be rather controversial, but man, it didn't make anybody bad an eye her taking bumps from Hulk Hogan. Was that a controversial decision? Is it uh, something they called on their own? Is it something you guys had a meeting about? Where was Vince on that? Did he ask her to take the bumps? What can you tell us about the Hogan Sherry Martell bumps? No, it just worked in the match and it was able to go out and, and allow, uh, just more entertainment in that match. And, and it's also Hogan and Sherry loved working with each other and Sherry was tougher than a lot of the guys. So her being in there was believable. It was always done. Now this was the rationale you have to understand different time, different place, different, everything. Um, if a female attacked a male competitor, then the male competitor had the right or, you know, justification. They were their justification then to put their hands back on the female. So you would build to that and you would have Sherry just be that, that pest constantly, attacking Hulk throughout the match until finally he gets his hands on her for one or two spots. And, and that was just highly entertaining in a completely different era that it wasn't looked at like it is today. And I think that, you know, right or wrong, you go back 30 years, it was, it was a little bit different and, and people looked at it as just strictly entertainment. Yeah. By God, she's going to get her. She's been fucking with him for so long. Um, she's going to get hers. And, and it's funny just how we think about things and view things through a much kinder lens as we grow older and for the better, in my opinion, that, you know what? Uh, yeah, you know, put your hands on a woman. And, and 
it just, uh, that was the time. And that was, that was what everybody was doing. You watch old movies, you watch old television shows and go, holy cow, you'd never do that today. One of the things that we mentioned there is the, uh, the physicality from SummerSlam 89 in that, that match, that tag match and that promo with the silly cauldron. I, oh. I absolutely love it. It's a minute and 48 seconds. And I'm going to uh, play the audio for everybody to hear here because I just absolutely love this. At SummerSlam, yeah. tonight's main event, Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake to meet the human wrecking machine, Zeus, his partner, of course, none other than the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Sensational yeah. Sherry, what? What in the world uh, is in this cauldron? This. Oh, mean Gene Okerlund, this is the cauldron of madness that we have spoke of all so fondly in the past month. <gasps> What will help us destroy Hulk Hogan, Brutus Beefcake? Ah, oh, I look in there, what do I see? I see Hulk Hogan laying flat on his back. And another thing, what do I see? Brutus Beefcake, he's gone, he's finished. And then, hopefully, hopefully we can see what's going to happen with Miss Elizabeth if she's here, where is she? Where is she? What's cooking, Macho she? Man? Where is she? Unbelievable. I see the same things that Sensational she? Series sees, only I see them a little smaller, yeah. <laughs> like an itsy bitsy pieces, if you know what I mean. I see the weak link, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Oh, yeah, in the bottom of the cauldron of madness, yeah. And I also see Hulk Hogan, yeah, on the bottom of the cauldron of the madness, and it's because of the human wreck machine impervious to pain and i told you hulk hogan that this was the end of the road and i am looking at the end of the road and also i see sensational sherry you with miss elizabeth yeah the possibility is unbelievable thank you very much i'm a little bit quiet all let's get back up to the ring Dude, how much respect did Macho Man have for Sherry to let her take the lead on the promo? She got more in than he did. Respect or just like, thank God she's here to fill the rest of the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Stuff. I know you had some fun working with thinking. that. Yeah, she's got it. Uh-huh. What was it like doing the, uh, the brother love show with that pair and Zeus? I mean. That had to be some of the best shit you ever did. Yeah, because all I had to do was talk to them, and then we would have, then we would come up with a line for Tiny to do. But uh, ah, I loved it because as much shit as we would talk about in the back, you never knew what was going to come out of any one of our mouths once we got out there with a microphone in front of us. So that part was fun, and I used to, Sherry used to love to try to get me to break. And I would try to get her to break and sad, you know, Savage just wouldn't, but, um, Sherry and I would always try to have fun like that. Good times, man. My, my other favorite promo, you got to find the one where they're building, uh, the, the match, the movie, the no holds barred, you know, Christmas in December of 1989, uh, just a phenomenal promo where you see, you know, I'm not going to play the audio cause you've just got to see it, but Sherry climbs the fucking cage. And then oh. tries to get off camera and tries to scoot around from the front to the back where you can't see her, but she's still on camera. Just great shit. We should mention 
They had a mainstream appearance in late, uh, I guess sometime in 1990. Uh, Sherry and Randy appear on the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, hosted by Robin Leach. I don't know that we've talked about that since we t- did our Million Dollar Man episode. Any memories of the appearance here by uh, Sherry and Randy on this show? Yeah, this one wasn't, you know, this one wasn't as in-depth as the one that they did with DiBiase. And it was just kind of all set pieces and everything, but it wasn't really that in depth, but it was nice exposure for Randy and Liz and a way to get that macho King gimmick out there. Robin loved us, Robin Leach and was a really good partner, worked with us often. And anytime that he saw something, Hey, this would be wacky. He would say, Hey, what if, um, and Sherry and, and fucking King macho King was, that was some entertaining shit. Man, I just can't help but but brag about how wonderful she was with the Macho King. You know, as we're just just scrolling through memory lane here, I remembered in her feud with uh, with Sapphire, and this has become an internet meme in the most recent year or so. Uh, and I think the title is something like uh, uh, "When the Chili's Bartender Cuts You and Your Friend Off," you know, after you know five margaritas, and they're both just flipping out. And Sherry is yelling, pointing at the camera, you're a common woman, which is so great considering that Dusty was calling himself the common man and just phenomenal stuff. Take a tip of the cap to Sherry Martell this weekend and go look up some of these great promos this weekend uh, as you're finding some, some old wrestling to enjoy. Through the rest of 1990, as we head into WrestleMania 7 and 91, Sherry, of course, still managing the Macho Man or the Macho King, as it were. WrestleMania seven, of course, we know we're building towards a retirement match with the ultimate warrior. When warrior wins the match and the match is over, Sherry gets in the ring, starts yelling at Randy. Then she starts to kick him. And then Elizabeth, who was in the crowd, jumps over the guardrail, runs down the aisle, grabs Sherry by the hair, throws her out of the ring. And then Randy and Liz are uh, hugging and reunited. One of the most emotional moments in WWF history. Fans are showed on camera crying on screen. We've covered this. In the archives, you can enjoy a WrestleMania seven episode, but really a phenomenal moment in wrestling history. And Sherry says earlier in the day, before doors were open, Randy and Liz came to the show together and gave Sherry a present to thank her for their two years together. And it was a phantom of the opera mask with a necklace built into it. Uh, a pretty cool sign of respect, uh, from some of the all time greats going to Sherry Martell here. Yeah, and they they truly loved each other. I mean, the three of them, it was, we we had great times on the road, and it it was a family. So this was was a way of saying thank you, and and thank you for stepping in and, and being there and never being that headache and pain in the ass that could sometimes arise with those situations. And Sherry played it to perfection. She was a part of the family, and I think that Randy and Randy and Liz both really loved her. Later in the show, Sherry would then accompany Ted DiBiase to the ring and become his manager. So she's off the million dollar, or she's off the uh, Macho King. She's owned to the million dollar man. Why was this decision made? Well, Randy was going away for a while. We didn't want to lose the star power of Sensational Sherry, and you'd had the dynamic of Virgil with Ted DiBiase, but we didn't have that dynamic of Ted with a female. And this was just that opportunity. Thought Sherry was great 
it would add another dimension and a whole nother, you know, you, you look at it, what Sherry did for Macho King and everyone could argue Randy Savage didn't need a manager. Randy Savage didn't need anybody to cut his promos for him and no, didn't need anyone to be out at the ring to enhance his matches. However, when you did that, you went, holy shit, what a package. And that's the same thing as how we looked at the Million Dollar Man. Uh, Ted DiBiase didn't need a manager. Ted didn't need someone to enhance his matches. But holy shit, when you add Sherry Martell to that package, you've got a brand new fucking package and a brand new character and presentation. Uh, we should mention that uh, if you're looking for the million dollar man, what you might need to be looking at is how much you're paying in interest on your credit cards every month. Probably too much. But why not consolidate your credit card debt into one lower monthly payment at a fixed rate? Start saving money. All of that is easy with a credit card consolidation loan from our friends at Lightstream. You see, rates there are as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay. And that's much lower than the national average interest rate on credit cards, which is more than 20% APR. You can get a loan from five to a hundred thousand dollars with absolutely no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. And Lightstream.com believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that is exactly what they deliver. And I got to tell you, I am a believer in this. I've told the story many times here on the show. I bought a car like a cash buyer. Thanks to our friends at Lightstream. I was looking for the best deal I could get on a car for my baby mama many years ago. And uh, lightstream.com was recommended to me. I checked it out. They beat the best rate I had ever seen on an auto loan. It is this day is the cheapest rate I've ever had on a car loan. They overnighted me a check. I went to the dealer the next day and I bought it like a cash buyer. So if they made it that easy for me to buy a car, I know they can help you knock out your credit card debt. And just for our listeners, you can apply now to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. Now, the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L I G H T S T R E A M.com slash wrestle. Of course, subject to credit approval rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. So Sherry and Ted, they're together till 1992. What'd you think of their pairing? I mean, when I think of all the guys that she managed through her career, Nothing really jumps out about her managing Ted. I mean, I remember all the macho stuff so vividly. I remember the Shawn Michaels stuff very vividly. I remember a lot of the WCW stuff, but the Ted stuff, eh, doesn't feel like there's a lot of story behind it. Yeah, there really wasn't. And I don't know that Ted utilized Sherry nearly as much as Randy did. I think Randy saw the advantages of having Sherry in his corner and exploited that as much as he could. And I'm not sure that Ted felt the same way. So, you know, Ted was in his own right, just, you know, one hell of a talent talker and everything else. So I don't know that Ted embraced it as much as, as Randy did. They, they clicked, they got along great, two great workers paired together, but you're right. For whatever reason, it, it wasn't, it wasn't memorable. It wasn't over the top. Like, Oh my God. Hey, you remember the time when, uh, well, no, they're you know, savage. You go right to mm-hmm. the shit with, you know, warrior. You go right to the shit with dusty. Those are two big, big, big memorable fucking runs in the history of the company, much less in their career. 
Well, and the Hogan stuff. I mean, there's just so much. Oh yeah. Stuff. And I don't think they even officially ended their storyline or broke up their business relationship on TV. She just started appearing on TV saying she was in love with the newly turned heel, Shawn Michaels. And then she just stopped appearing with Ted. Let's talk about Shawn Michaels for a minute though. Um, they're going to break up the rockers. We've talked about that in our rockers episode available in the archives now at something to wrestle on youtube.com. But talk to me a little bit about whose idea it was to say, Hey, uh, if he's going to be a heel, we need to make sure people boo him. And besides, you know, booting Marty Jannetty through the barbershop glass. Maybe if we put him with a known heel manager, that's a tried and true WWF way who fits the bill. Well, what's Sherry doing? How did she get that opportunity? Well, Sherry had worked with Sean and Marty with Playboy Buddy Rose and Doug Summers in the AWA. So there was history there. And I remember, you know, Sean always talking about, oh, my God, if we only had Sherry on the outside because she did 90% of the work for those guys, she was able to bump and fly and cut promos and do any and everything that they ever needed her to do. So there was already chemistry there and. I think Vince felt that dressing Sean up there may, there was going to be a segment of the audience, no matter what you did with Sean, that was still going to like him. They wouldn't like him if he was with Sherry. So that was the rationale behind that and putting Sherry in that role to try and just again, solidify, make sure people are going to boo Sean. And it's an interesting dynamic because it's almost, uh, like a cougar type thing. I think Sherry's like seven years older than Sean. And, uh, this is her boy toy to the point that I think that Sherry singing his original entrance music as a heel, right? Well, originally, originally it was, um, I think Jimmy Hart sang it or, uh, the other Jimmy did, but then Jimmy and I were sitting there and Sherry was, was mouthing the words to it. And I said, Hey, Jimmy, can we have Sherry sing it? And it's actually like her homage to Shawn Michaels. And he's like, baby, I was thinking exact same thing. And we got Sherry in the studio and had her do the song. And it was so bad. It was good. That. That's what, that's what became. We, we put her voice on there and that was her homage to Shawn Michaels. And he's just a sexy boy. And the rest, as they say, is history. I'm not your boy toy, boy toy. I'm just a sexy boy, sexy boy. Hot wax dripping. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. That's enough. Sean said this about their pairing. I received a phone call about how they were putting me with Sherry and I got the music and stuff like that. I remember them playing the song for me and Sherry had gone out on TV and done the promo talking about me and putting herself with me. I wasn't sure I was trying to figure out who I was and what I was going to be. And in my whole trying to find myself leaving the rockers and taking time to do this. And again, Pat Patterson said, look, Sherry has been with two guys, DiBiase and Savage, both top guys. And if we put her with you, she's going to raise your stock. You get to be next to her. That's going to help get you to another level. And I was like, oh, and then of course, Sherry and I were friends from the old AWA days. It started out with the boy toy thing. And then with them putting her in, uh, in my corner and sort of giving me a direction. 
Uh, but back then I don't think they were called cougars, but clearly that was the vibe that we were going with. And it gave me a sexual component that I wasn't where I was going to have, but because I was with her, it gave me an opportunity to be in that area. And I guess if you're trying to really put him over as the boy toy, it made sense. You know, if, if that's the, the look is look how good looking I am and flamboyant I am. And if you're going to use that to get heat, you need him to be with an attractive older lady. And this sort of checked all the boxes. Is this the brainchild of uh, Pat Patterson? It feels like a Vince McMahon idea. Yeah, it was, it was, it was something that Pat had come up with, try to enhance Sean and take Sean to the ne- next level. And I think it did. I think it helped Sean tremendously. So this was one of those, you know, you talked about DiBiase, maybe not, you know, maybe not so much, but Sean, I thought that Sean needed Sherry in that regard to take him to the next level. Great stuff, man. Really, really good stuff. Uh, they break up eventually late 1992 when Marty Jannetty grabs the mirror that Shawn Michaels would pose in front of and try to hit Sean with it. Sean pulls Sherry in front of him. So Marty winds up hitting Sherry with it. I hated to see him break up, especially after I saw Sherry strut that ass to the ring at SummerSlam 92. I didn't know that women could wear drawers like that. And as a, a little 11 year old boy in Alabama, it was a special day for me. Bless your little heart. <laughs> that would be a great time to transition to a spot, but they're not a sponsor this week. So let's keep it moving. Why break them up here? I think it was time. And I think it was time for, for Sean looking at his career and Sean feeling that, you know what, I've gone and done as much as I can. And and Sean feeling that he was going to be stronger on his own. She's not on TV again until the 93 Royal rumble. She's in a neutral corner for the match between Sean and Marty. She tries to hit Sean with a shoe, but she misses and hits Marty that leads Sean to win. She finds herself in Tatanka's corner at WrestleMania nine during his match with Sean. He had Luna Vachon in his corner after the match. Luna would attack Sherry and uh, that goes down in the trainer's room backstage. And she spends the remainder of the year aligned with Tatanka. Who's going to aid her in her feud with Luna Vachon and Bam Bam Bigelow. And while she's still a part of the company, she's working with the USWA doing the invasion angle where she's in Randy Savage's corner during his match with Cherry Lawler. While she's down there, she's going to work three matches, two against Miss Texas, who we know is Miss Jackie and a mixed tag with Scotty Flamingo against Lawler and Miss Texas. And she's going to work a lot of house shows against Luna during the summer of 93, but then she winds up leaving the company and Meltzer would report that, uh, Vince fires her from the company after her third failed drug test. And allegedly the drug test failure was for smoking marijuana. And when confronted about this, she just said, she's not going to quit. And I think she's even on record as saying one time she was called into the office and it was Vince, JJ Dillon and yourself sitting there. And one of you told her that the, the drug test came back positive and you were going to have to let her go. Talk to me about what you remember about this moment after she'd been with the company six years, some very memorable angles, and then it comes uh, to an end here. Yeah. It, look, it's hard. It's hard when you have a talent, an extraordinary talent like Sherry Martell that you want to keep and you want to continue to use. However, you can't have a different set of rules for people. And unfortunately for Sherry, it was however many strikes it was. And she had to go away for a while. We wanted her to go get help. Sherry didn't feel that she needed any help. And that was the alternative. So 
if you can't stop doing this and you don't want to go get help, then we can't have you doing it on our time. And, and, and life's a bitch sometimes. That one hurt. It sucks, dude, to know that it's it's coming to an end here. And you sort of alluded to it earlier when you said that when Vince first had her on his radar, he had heard that, you know, she, um, I forget the phrase you used, but the insinuation was she was wild and liked to party. Was it just uh, crazy wrestling style drinking? Was it marijuana? I mean, obviously we know what led to the end of her life, but what was what was her sort of rap? and reputation in the business as far as being a question mark in Vince's mind. The perception was, was that she liked to party and she liked to do drugs and she liked to party with the boys and get wild. Um, I don't think that that was an accurate perception. You know, once you, once you get to know her, that wasn't just who Sherry was. Sherry. Yeah. Sherry liked to have a good time. Yeah. Sherry liked to party just like everybody else. So why shouldn't she, uh, she worked hard, but Sherry, during her time with us, I can't recall anything over the top. Did we have issues where she beat up Sapphire and threw her in the shower? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did we have issues where you know she would go off on somebody sometime? Yes. But you have issues with all your top talent in, in some form or fashion. Um, Sherry's, to me, weren't extraordinary. Hang on. You buried the lead there. She... She beat up Sapphire and threw in the shower and you weren't going to tell us about that. There was, there was a period where, um, the stuff that Sapphire wore, she wore every night. So they would wrestle every night and Juanita wouldn't shower and she would wear the exact same clothes and Sherry and Juanita traveled together and Sherry told her, Hey, look, You've got, you've got to wash your gear. You've got to wash your clothes and you need to bathe. And I think that Sapphire was just self-conscious about taking a shower at the arena in front of Sherry. I, I, that's the only thing that we could, that we could think of. And I remember, um, Liz trying, you know, trying to mediate that a little bit. Um, she asked me to mediate it. I wasn't getting involved. And then, um, Sherry took it upon herself, said, you're not going to shower. I'm going to get you in the shower. And so Sherry drug her into the shower and turned the shower on and proceeded to help her bathe. <laughs> I, I don't know the name of, I don't remember what town it was in. I can picture the. I can picture the backstage. I can picture the locker room, everything. But I remember Liz coming over to where Randy and I were dressing. And she says, you guys got to get in here and stop Sherry. And it's like, what? It's just, she's got Sapphire in the shower and she's turned the shower on and is basically giving Sapphire a shower. Randy and I looked at each other and we're like, you know, what exactly do you expect us to do? <laughs> you know, like, what do you, what do you want us to do? I'm going to go in there and fight Sherry. Um, so Jack Lanza, who was the agent went in and, and calmed things down and everything was good after, I mean, like they got in the car and they were fine that night, but it was, uh, 
Juanita got new gear and changed her gear and washed her gear from that point going forward. Look, when you're in the car with somebody and you're in the ring with them every night and they're not taking care of their hygiene, it it, it can oh, be a little it. rough. I understand. Sherry briefly goes to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, helps Tracy Smothers for this feud with Brian Lee and Tammy Sitch. Of course, we know it's going to be the future Sonny. She also wrestles Jim Cornette in a few intergender matches. Let's just move along from that. Uh, and then she goes to ECW in 93. She manages Shane Douglas there. She turns on Douglas in a tag match with Brian Pillman, costing Douglas the match on behalf of Ric Flair. And, uh, at the November to remember on November 13th, Sherry loses to DQ and, uh, she winds up finding an opportunity in 1994, uh, to work with uh, Gary Juster at a WCW television taping and, uh, then quickly gets an opportunity to sign with the company. So it's pretty cool that she bounces back. Uh, the next year she's on TV. She makes her television debut for WCW on the April 23rd edition of Saturday night. She's sensuous Sherry here because she can't be sensational Sherry. And, uh, her goal in an interview with Mean Jean, she says is to uh, find a man that can bring her the world title. And she's sitting ringside for a world title match with Ric Flair and Barry Windham. Uh, eventually we see that she's got sting face paint. It looks like she's going to be with sting in the unification match. Uh, between himself and Ric Flair. Of course, it's a double cross. Uh, famously, uh, she takes a huge bump uh, from Sting in this match. But at the end of the night, she's aligned with the nature boy, Ric Flair. Has a great time managing him. Then the Harlem Heat. Uh, fast forward to the end, and she is uh, relieved of her duties in July of 1997. Did you see any of her run in WCW? A little bit, but when I say a little bit, very little, um, you know, a lot of it, in my opinion of what I did see was rehash other than the stuff she did with Harlem heat, which I did enjoy. And I thought that that was some pretty entertaining stuff. I thought that Sherry brought the best out of those guys and, and made them an even more unique tag team and made them stand apart from the crowd. Um, but beyond that, I really, I really didn't pay that much attention to it. And I was, I was in contact with Sherry probably every three or four months just to say, Hey, and see how she was doing and, you know, bide your time. And I think that we'll get to a point where we can get back. Well, ultimately it never happened and, and we'll talk about all that, but there was a noticeable decline in her appearance where you wondered is she okay uh on wcw it was it was visible even back then at least to me uh, in my opinion uh, in early 99 she's in a mixed tag match for the apocalypse wrestling federation's heavyweight championship uh missy hyatt would pin sherry to win the title that's real uh and then in october of 99 she's on the now infamous heroes of wrestling pay-per-view She's going to manage Greg Valentine in a match against George the Animal Steel. She's also in 99 going to be awarded the AWA Superstars Women's Championship. In 2000, she pops up in WCW for three appearances, the first of which is a sold out 2000. She's watching ringside as Chris Benoit beats Sid Vicious to win the world title. Uh, she's also on the uh, January 19th edition of Thunder. She's got a match with Medusa where she would lose. And in her last appearance in WCW, she would have a match with Mona, the future Molly Holly, where she would also lose. She pops back up in the WWF in 2005, where she famously takes part 
in a pretty interesting little piece of business where Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle are getting ready for the WrestleMania 21 match. I thought this was great stuff, man. Whose idea was this? And, and tell everybody about the storyline. Uh, uh, best I remember, it was old Brian Gewertz who uh, thought about looking back at their past and who in Sean's past could come back and, you know, be a thorn in his side. So the idea was sensational Sherry would be perfect. And it was a nice way to open the door for Sherry to kind of put her foot back in and get that exposure. And it was a little bit of a test to see, can she still go? Can she still do it? And is there something more that we could utilize? Because as a performer, she'd always been very versatile and this was an opportunity to maybe use all of her talents. I don't think that she had the, she didn't have the snap and the pep that, uh, that she used to have. It happens. This episode of SmackDown, she's singing the parody of Shawn Michaels theme song with Kurt Angle. Angle puts her in the ankle lock. Great stuff. That's setting up the WrestleMania 21 match. Fast forward to WrestleMania 22. And that weekend, she goes in the WWE Hall of Fame, claiming her rightful spot. It's unfortunate that uh, the WWE was not on good speaking terms with the Macho Man at the time. He would have been the right guy to induct her. But they had Ted DiBiase there. She got her Hall of Fame ring April 2006. What do you remember about her induction speech? Oh, my God. My favorite part about Sherry's induction speech is when she started cutting a promo on Eric Bischoff. And she talks about going to WCW and Bischoff firing her. And if I ever see that little weasel and I'll do this, I'll do that. And Bischoff was in the audience and Eric stood up and I was like right here. And she looked and she did not know he was in the audience in the genuine shriek from Sherry. Like, ah, you, you, oh my God. What? And she just cut another promo on him. And it was, oh, it was so fucking enjoyable. I think it was Detroit. But, oh, God damn, it was hilarious. Because it's just, it was real. It was real, and that was the passion. And we got exactly what you would have expected out of Sherry Martell's sensational Sherry that night with, with that acceptance speech. And... You know, it, it really uh, made you realize how much you miss her. Later that year, she worked for TNA, taping a backstage vignette, trying to offer her managerial services to uh, the free agent Bobby Roode that aired on September 21st, 2006. And this was unfortunately her last televised wrestling appearance. On June 15th, 2007, Sherry passed away at her mother's house in McCalla, Alabama. She was only 49 years old. The toxicology report would say that she passed away from multiple drugs in her system, including an extremely high amount of oxycodone. Uh, gone way too soon, Bruce. What was your reaction when you heard the news that we'd lost Sherry Martell? I cried like a girl, man. Um... There, of the people that you have the privilege of knowing in this business, and 
and know as well as I knew Sherry and being able to travel up and down the road with her, work with her intimately. Uh, that was, she was special. She was just, just really special. And being in the car with somebody for long hours and working with them every single night and, and you, you get to know instinctively what, what they're going to say, what they're going to do. Um, yeah, I just cried. <laughs> I, it, it was just so sad because too young, too soon. And there was, you know, there was thought of, there's always thought of who could, who could help, you know, um, who could help revitalize and, and actually help a, a women's division and bring it into the entertainment realm that, that we wanted and, but also understood both ends of it, entertainment and the sports part of it and working part of it. And that was Sherry. So Vince always had a soft spot for Sherry Martell and felt that she was extraordinarily talented and, and a wonderful human being, all of which she was. And it was a shock. It, it was a shock. And she was gone too soon. She had opened up a beauty parlor, I believe. And that was her other love was she wanted to have a salon and a beauty parlor. And she had realized that she was doing that, but just gone way too soon. And what a waste. It's worth mentioning McCalla, Alabama is between Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, a very, very, I mean, very uh, small part of Alabama, but, uh, you never, I mean, I never knew much about Sherry's real life, personal life. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, but. Before we do, I want to mention it was in the observer about a month prior to her passing away that the WWE was in talks to bring her back. It was at least an idea floated to bring her back to be uh, the first female agent to work with the women, to be more believable and more expressive, both inside the ring and at ringside. Do you remember hearing rumors of that in 2007? There were always rumors of that because we were always just thinking of it. We were always thinking of her and trying to utilize her skills. So that that was something that was constantly, constantly talked about. What do you think her legacy in wrestling is going to be? I mean, will it be as an in-ring performer or as a manager? I think it's going to be both. I think that she will go down as probably one of the most versatile women performers, uh, Fuck women performers. She'll she'll go down as one of the most versatile performers in the business. Just memorable and could deliver every time. Let's uh, let's go to Twitter. We posted uh, earlier this week at Pritchard Show. If you guys had questions about Sherry Martell, Michael Eldridge wants to know: During her time with the WWF, was Sherry ever rumored to, or was she ever actually in a relationship with any of the wrestlers? And Bruce, I got to tell you about half the questions that we got about Sherry are about her personal life because we know so little. I mean, I didn't know that she uh, lived with her mother in Alabama and, and I live in Alabama and I'm a big wrestling fan and we don't know, you know, who she rode with or who she traveled with, or if she was in a romantic relationship with any of the talent or what any of her real life looked like. Can you tell us about any of that? No, cause she was, she did it the right way. She had a private life. It was private. 
She had someone that she was seeing. I think we got to meet. We got to meet guy like once or twice, maybe, but she didn't bring him around. It was separate. She didn't want him around the wrestling business. And, uh, you know, that, that was her life. That was her other life um, that she liked to have separate. But as far as, you know, there were rumors early on that she might have had relationships with different guys. I don't know who. Um, but from my point of view and from me working with her, man, she was always professional as hell. And you didn't. You didn't have that. You didn't have that to worry about. And she had a significant other. They weren't married that I know of. Um, she was that private. But she she brought them around to meet like me and Randy and Liz. Um, the internet, you know, and who knows what's true online, but the internet says that the fellow's name was Robert. And allegedly, um, she was married twice. And I think one of the times that's been rumored that your old pal Booker T actually gave her away. And he may have. Yeah. But, uh, but again, that was the, the, she kept it quiet. She kept it personal. She kept it private, which I agree with. That's uh yeah. I mean, you've always, you've, you've done that. I mean, we've talked very, very little about, uh, your wife here on the show and you know she's never been involved in the business or, or anything like that. How do you think she would do? And, you know, today's, uh, you know, women's wrestling. I think she'd flourish. Oh my God. Sherry would flourish and be one of the greatest heels ever. She was, but in this environment today, my God, it was made for Sherry Martell. Sherry was so far ahead of her time. Uh, Carlton banks wants to know what was Sherry's ethnicity? Was she biracial? Never heard that before. Not that I know of. I really don't know, but I've never heard that before. Well, a few, a few of our listeners assume that she either may be, you know, half white, half black. Others have guessed maybe she's, you know, half Indian, half white. I don't think it mattered in the end. I think people just ask those type of questions to say, Hey, she was like me. Um, Mary Kate wants to know, is there someone you would consider this generation's Sherry? That's a good question. Uh, shit. I don't know. Um, holy cow. I, I can't think of one. Tremendous question from Drew Landry. While Sherry could easily play the heel role incredibly well, was there any talk of her being a face? I think Sherry could have pulled that off as well, too. I think Sherry could have been that badass Stone Cold Steve Austin type of uh character that the audience would have eaten up and loved because they respected her big bake writes in we know sean had a lot of sunny days but do you think he ever had any sensational nights i you'd have to ask them i have no idea <laughs> um it's it's a fun idea to to sort of pay homage to sherry and i, and I, I am curious if you think WWE will ever honor her in the way they have some of the other talents before her, like Moolah and Mae Young, allegedly Jericho uh, recommended to Vince years ago the Sensational Invitational, or like a Memorial Battle Royal. Um, do you think we could ever see something like that in the in the company? Never say never, and that's something I think that 
could be received in a positive way. She was she was unique, man. It's uh it's one of those weird deals where she's one of those talents where where everybody else, you know, feels like we know everything about them. She's one of the interesting enigmas and I think that's probably something that's missing from a lot of wrestling today. Like there's a lot of mystery with Sherry and that adds to the the interest and intrigue and I don't know. I think it adds another layer to uh to making someone a draw. Would you agree with that? Yes. And that, you know, those special it qualities you can't put your finger on. That is what makes a difference. And you feel it, but you can't necessarily explain it. And that's, that's the beauty of this business. And that's the beauty of true talent. Uh, Richie writes in Sherry had some intergender loser gets spanked matches against Cornette and Smoky Mountain. Hypothetically, what would it have sounded like when Corny pitched those matches? I ain't even going there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you tuning in this week as we tried to pay homage and do justice by one of my all-time favorite performers. I think one of the unsung heroes of professional wrestling, Sherry Martell, a true trailblazer uh, in an industry where everybody claims to be the first. I think Sherry stands alone. I think she was absolutely phenomenal as the first female heel manager in uh, WWE and uh I'm glad she got to be honored at the Hall of Fame before it was too late. You know, I wish she was still with us today. Certainly she would have the ability to contribute. I mean, she would have you know, not been an old lady today. I mean, she died at just 49 years old. A real shame. And there's lots of fun photos out there for us to remember her by. There's a famous photo of her in one of Ric Flair's robes and a famous photo of her and the Undertaker when they're in full gimmick just really one of the all-time greats universally respected by the boys too in an industry where it's a male dominated industry by far i've never met an old-timer who had anything but great things to say about sherry martell and that's really a testament because that's not always the case you know this is the business where a lot of guys can't wait to shit on each other that was not the rap on sherry martell was it absolutely not she was Uh, Again, extremely great talent, and she was well-liked. So she was able to perform, and she wasn't an asshole in the back. I think she went out of her way to get along and make it work with everyone. Well, and we hope that you're making it work right now with your health insurance. And we hope that you're not overpaying, but unfortunately, and Uh, you know, historically, and even rather ironically, the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. And that's not a conspiracy theory. It's just how life insurance works until health IQ health IQ is going to use both science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on your life insurance. If you're a vegan or a vegetarian, maybe you're some type of athlete a runner, a cyclist, even CrossFit. If you're putting in the hard work, you deserve to be rewarded with more affordable life insurance. And Health IQ can save you up to 41% because more affordable life insurance belongs with people who are physically active because they have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And by the way, Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But the savings, well, that's exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify in order to get a special rate. 
To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash wrestle to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums when compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash wrestle to let them know we sent you and then start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. Again, that's healthiq.com slash wrestle. And we should mention, we've got a whole bunch of interesting stuff coming your way next week. We're bringing you no way out 2005 on the 28th. We're going to bring you Ricky, the dragon steamboat on March the 6th. It'll be all about Val Venus on March 13th. We'll hit may young and raw is hand baby on March 20th. We'll do hashtag ask Bruce anything on March 27th. We're going to bring you WrestleMania 11. On April 3rd, it'll be all about WrestleMania 21. On April 10th, it's all about Paul Bearer. April 17th is a secret I'm not telling you. April 24th is all about Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And on May the 1st, it's Backlash 2005. But next week, our main event is John Bradshaw Layfield taking on the big show in a barbed wire steel cage. That actually happened. We've also got a tournament finale to decide Who's going to get the WWE championship match at WrestleMania 21 between John Cena and Kurt Angle. How about undertaker with Luther reigns? We've also got a cruiserweight open for the cruiserweight title with Chavo, Funaki, Akio, Paul London, Shannon Moore, and Spike Dudley. Booker T is in there with Heidenreich. Ugh. And Eddie Guerrero will team up with Rey Mysterio to take on the Basham brothers. What are you looking forward to? No way out 2005 or one of these other topics we've got coming your way. The end. <laughs> well, I'm just just the end. The end of the day so you can get your teeth in and go to bed or the end of Backlash 2005 or being done with No Way Out 2005. Being done with No Way Out 2005. Well, any of the other topics tickle your fancy? I thought you'd be pretty far. You know, I I always first of all, I, I always love ask Bruce anything. I, I like those shows. Those are a lot of fun because you never know what's going to come at you. But WrestleMania 11 is probably out of everything. I think there's is, is a lot to talk about, a lot of meat on the bone there. And that'll be fun. It will be fun. Mark your calendars. That's the one Bruce is excited about. March 27th, as we said the week before, though. Hashtag ask Bruce anything. Lots of good stuff coming your way. I apologize for having to do a best of last week. As you can hear, Bruce is shot out of a cannon this week. We do our best to bring you great content every single week. Uh, if you'd like to enjoy the show ad-free, you can check it out on Patreon. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've still got some fun stuff we're planning on doing uh, on our YouTube channel. It might be after WrestleMania before we start cranking it out. But you want to be ready, hit that subscribe button and the notifications bell so you start seeing the new stuff when it comes your way. Uh, it's something to wrestle on youtube.com until next week he is at bruce pritchard i am at hey hey it's conrad and we are out of time we'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with bruce pritchard hey it's back well you know pasha via told me to say it john brings his skewed sense of humor jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs>
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.